Hello, friends. I'm JP. And I'm Drew, and you're listening to the Broken But Beautiful podcast, where we talk about why church is still worth it. Here we are again. Good to see you, Drew. Good to see you, JP. I'm... You, you mentioned just a few minutes ago how we have been sitting and recording these podcasts for over a year, and it's become a great, important routine of my life, and I just want to express my gratitude to you. Thanks for the idea and the invitation to join you. Man, I look forward to it every time. We're sitting here at the dining room table. We've got the hot tea going, looking out the window. And Drew, as my best friend from New Hampshire, you know, that is your, that's how I rank you in my Maybe life. Maybe your only friend from New Hampshire. I have other friends from New Hampshire, but it's my best friend from New Hampshire. Drew is wearing an old man in the mountain hat. So a salute to Franconia Notch, for those of you that remember old man in the mountain. I carry a little bit of New Hampshire with me everywhere I go. Uh, JP, I've been really excited about this particular season of our podcast. We've been talking about some really, really important things. The first season we talked about church and why church in general is beautiful and important, but we've really gotten into this season into some really important topics. Mm -hmm. The way that churches have approached inappropriately certain topics. Uh, And I really am excited about today's episode and how we can contribute to that conversation. What what we've both been doing the past year is just kind of keeping our eyes open for people that have a story to tell mm-hmm. about church. And so I want to introduce you to my good friend, Melody Jones, who I've known about 10 years. Uh, she's in her mid-60s. I got to know her because her daughter uh, is about my age, comes to our church here in Nashville with her whole family. They're some of our best friends in the world. And Melody lives in East Tennessee, spent most of her life in the Atlanta area, though, before moving to East Tennessee in recent years. But she's, Drew, she's one of those people that you meet her, and within two or three minutes, you're like, we've known each other our entire life, (laughs) you know? She's very hospitable. We've been to their house in East Tennessee to stay for the weekend and hang out with them. But just deep connection fast, then a year goes by, you don't see her, and you see her again, you pick up right where you left off. But she... um. She has so many stories to tell, and I was hanging out with her last summer, and I was like, I'd love to do an episode, just have you come on and tell some stories about your good, bad, and the ugly of your experiences in church. So when we sat down to do this interview, the direction ended up going, um, well, into some really hard stories, so we just kind of want to alert the listeners, this is a hard topic, what it got into today, because Melody wanted to talk about her experiences with physical abuse and domestic violence in her family of origin and growing up and how the church responded or didn't respond to some of these things. So, so that's where this episode is going. And it's, it's not meant to be a holistic episode on how domestic violence should be, should be handled, but this is kind of what happened for better or worse. Yeah. And so if you're listening to this podcast and you have a history with physical abuse or domestic violence and you need to not listen to the episode, we totally understand. We hope that you're getting the, maybe the help that you need to uh, process those things in your life. Um, Maybe this episode, if you're prepared to listen to it, could be a part of that. And if not, Mm -hmm. we totally understand. But uh, we just wanted to give a little bit of a warning about the sensitive topic of this episode. Yeah, certainly churches and society as, as at large have not always handled abuse the way it needs to be handled. This story takes place late 60s, early 70s. So certainly at that time in American society and in church culture, we, we didn't know what we know now. 
But anyway, I invite you. It's a very redemptive episode. Uh, so I invite you to, to listen with us. Melody, good to see you. Hey, good morning. How are you? I'm well. I've been looking forward to this conversation. Me too. A little nervous, but mostly looking forward to it. Well, if you don't mind, go ahead and start off by just telling us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about your spiritual background. Well, let's see. I am um, 66 years old. Um, have three children, 12 grandchildren, Two great grands, and uh, my husband and I live in uh, East Tennessee, but I was born and raised in Atlanta, Georgia area. I have always gone to church. I have always been taken to church as a child. My original background church-wise was uh, in the Lutheran church. In fact, I was baptized at six days old at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Atlanta, Georgia, a big <laughs> At that point, it was the largest Lutheran church building in like the Southeast or something. Oh, wow. I have been a part of church all my life. Oh, that's wonderful. I know from conversations we've had in the past and things we've been talking about for this interview, I'm sure it hadn't always been easy. So I want to talk a little bit about when church has been hard and kind of what you learned from that as we slowly move towards why you've stayed in church for 66 years, as you said. <laughs> okay. Well, I want to begin by, by reminding everybody who's listening to this story today that all of the characters in this story will be real people. <laughs> and by that, I mean, they are human beings, all of us living in a fallen world and life is difficult. Even when you go to church, no matter how active you are in church, no matter how strong your faith is, we live on this earth right now. And uh, as Christians, we, we know, although sometimes we forget that God's plan is eternal. And, but when we are on the earth, especially as you're younger, I think, we just naturally focus in on just what we can see and just what's happening. So this story is going to begin when I'm 12 years old. When I'm 12 years old, we're living in a small town outside uh, south of Atlanta called Jonesboro, Georgia. You might have heard of Jonesboro because it is in the book Gone with the Wind and in the movie. And so I grew up in Jonesboro, Georgia. We, Our family uh, uh, heritage goes back to, uh, on both sides of my family, interesting, to Germany and to the Lutheran Church, all the way back to the Reformation and Martin Luther and all that stuff. And um, and so both of my parents' families' heritage come go all the way back to there. However, my daddy's family ended up in South Georgia, and uh, his family, he grew up in, in a mill town, in a mill house. Both of his parents were mill workers, very poor, and his life was very difficult as a kid. He was a victim of, um, it, well, emotional abuse, physical abuse, uh, and uh, alcoholism. He inherited uh, the teachings and the lifestyle of all those things in his life. My mother had a learning disability that she did not realize and was not defined to her until she was almost 70 years old, of course. And when she grew up, they didn't know much about learning disabilities. It was not severe, but it caused her always in her life to feel smaller and less than everybody else because she had trouble processing information. And um, she also had that led and helped to develop some emotional 
uh, challenges for her in her life. So daddy and mom fall in love. These two people, these two perfectly normal human beings with all these trials and troubles, both of them believers, but they, they were lost so much in, in all the struggles of their lives. And they did not know Jesus personally. And that really impacted their lives for most of their lives until their, until their latter years. So now uh, a Lutheran church, a brand new mission Lutheran church has come to Jonesboro, Georgia. And lo and behold, one day in the summer, and I remember this, this is back, no air conditioning, it's hot, the windows are open, the front door's open, we have a spring door, and there's a knock on the door, and there's this young man standing there, his name was Ozzie Herlong, and he was knocking on doors to build the Lutheran Church congregation. And my mama answered the door, and she was thrilled because remember that is her background that's her her place of worship and she was thrilled and thrilled and thrilled and we joined that in fact we were the very first family to join what would become living word lutheran church in jonesboro georgia it was a very small congregation of course in the beginning and i guess we grew to about 100 people at our most at that time now that was a joyous time for our family we were very active. We were always, when the doors were open at church, we were there and we were active. But behind closed doors in our own home, it was terrible. It was it was almost the, not quite the pinnacle of horribleness in our family, but but it, we were we were heading towards that. My father's alcoholism, I mean, every night he came home drunk from work. Um, he was violent. He beat my mother. He beat me. He beat my siblings. I'm the oldest of six. And I, I, I was already like the protector of our family, slept with a softball bat in my bed since I was eight to protect my family when daddy would, you know, be violent like this. So that, so it was a real kind of strange life mm. in, in, in many ways, although so many people in this world live a similar life right now, right today. It's not unusual. I wish it was more unusual, but it's not. So here we were going to church and we sat, the six of us sat in the front pew on the left. Mom and daddy sat in the second pew so daddy could reach up and pop us on the head if we moved or anything during the service. And I always thought that everybody thought two things about us. We had the best behaved kids in the church, but that's because we all were scared to death. And also that they knew what was going on and they did know what was going on. You know, things leak out in life and they did know what was going on. They saw my mother come to church with uh, black eyes and her arms and in, in a sling every once in a while, and us kids with bruises. And I, of course, I was old enough at this point, I thought, Somebody's going to help us. Now, already in my life, I'm calling the police a couple of times a week. Still, nothing changed is what I mean. Mm. It only angered my father more. And because he didn't have any consequences, it just he was all he, he remained in control. But I just knew in my little 12 year old heart that these people at church, they were going to save us. Mm. They were going to save us. What I had hoped would happen 
never did happen. So I grew up and went on and, and different, you know, my life went on. I, I eventually married and, and I did not realize until maybe as I was thinking about our time together today mm-hmm. and what I was going to share. And then it dawned on me, you know what? Those people, they did save us. They were part of what saved my family. Mm. Big part of it that I didn't realize. This is what I, I learned. They did the best they could. They did not ignore it. They did the best they could. But I was young and I didn't understand all the things that were happening. When I was 13 there, uh, our uh, Ozzy Herlong came to our home and he said, look, my Melody's been selected to go to this leadership thing in the summer. It's a big deal. And uh, it's going to be in Newberry, South Carolina. And we're and she's getting a scholarship. Now, let me tell you something. At this point in my life, I wasn't allowed, none of us, to even spend the night in Bay's house. Or nobody spent the night at our house. This was a big deal. I'm telling you. I'm sitting there thinking, looking at them like, well, this, you know what? Mob daddy said yes. Wow. And that, JP, began to change my life. I continued going to that leadership thing until I was 18. And then I became a part of the staff. I had um, college courses there in the summer. I'm telling you, it changed my life in so many ways. One of the most significant things that happened the very first summer was I met a couple, Joe and Melba. He was a a Lutheran pastor. They were a little bit younger than my parents, just maybe by five years. And they just loved me. And they just kind of adopted me like spiritually. And then the Lord moved in his life. They lived in South Carolina at church there. When I was 16 years old, he took a church in Atlanta, St. John's Lutheran Church, which happened to be the home church of the man that I would eventually marry. So now Joe is closer to me. Mm-hmm. Now he comes and gets me and takes me. And my parents allow it. It's just so crazy. I, I, I mean, if you knew my parents, you would know that this is a God thing. But anyway, things began to change. I began to be coming back and forth with new information and new experiences for my siblings. And they began to see from me. Now, this is not nothing that I realized at that time. Okay. Mm-hmm. Nor did they. They began to see in me hope. Yeah. They began to see possibilities. Maybe they didn't even identify it as hope. Now they would say that, but they began to say, gosh, look at what Millie's doing. Because this was leading me all over the place. That's when I began to do plays in Atlanta. It's as back, it's all of that. All this happened during this time. The people in my little church back in Jonesboro, Georgia, for all those years, I felt like that they had let me down and let my family down, but they didn't. They were people who I, I found out later had, I mean, yes, they did know. They knew something terrible was going on in our family. They just didn't know what to do about it, but they didn't do nothing. They probably did the most important thing. I mean, they, they lifted it up to Christ and they modeled Christ and they reflected Christ and they humbled themselves by giving their money. I have no idea how much money that congregation gave for me 
to take all these classes and all that stuff. I have no idea. Did, did a lot of other kids at the church get that opportunity or did you look no. like you that got it? No, other families, my, the congregation, to my knowledge, okay, yeah. offered that to me exclusively. Wow. I mean, I knew that the people were paying for me to go, but until recent months, I didn't realize what they had really done, yeah. the sacrifices that they made. Mm-hmm and humbling themselves to be able to do what they needed to do to dance around my dad so that he would allow me to go. I recognized that from this little group of Christian people who didn't know what to do, and I wish I could contact them all and say, golly, thank you so much, look what you did, because you you did something and it mattered. hard to listen to that's a painful story and as she says it's not just her that's had that as experience you know way too many people have had that experience may have people listening who have had that experience and and we grieve for that we see these patterns of people that have been raised in abusive scenarios been raised in alcoholic homes and how they can be more likely to continue that pattern and it brings up the the importance of of trying to stop a pattern. And also we've probably all been in situations where we're like the church should have done more, but they didn't. And clearly, I mean, yes, it was a long time ago, but no matter the time, the church should have done more. And this is something we must reckon with. We must as church community, just all society continue to learn to do better. I mean, these stories are heartbreaking. Yeah. I was thankful for the way that she, almost threw in a caveat at the beginning, mm-hmm. uh, not a caveat, a reminder that these are real people in these stories, mm-hmm. real experiences, real people who have gone through hard things. She talked about the situation that her dad came out of and how he inherited that. And to to look back on some of these contexts that these people come out of, some of that hindsight can be helpful and it can provide empathy for the situation going on. But even if the, even though it provides empathy, it doesn't make it any less tragic or less difficult. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because like Melody said, when you're in the middle of it, that's all you can see is going on. Now she's got the benefit of a few decades Mm -hmm. afterwards of looking back and be able to reflect and say, here's what the church did for me. And I didn't realize it, but in those moments, that had to have been really, really hard for her to go through. Yeah, lonely, alienating. But then her ability now to look back and say, they didn't do nothing. Like she says, I can look back now and they did what they could. And so she tells this story of they're pinching their pennies and raising money to send her to this camp. And and I think everyone listening, I think this is the challenge before all of us. So like a church community, I mean, any community that we've loved, we sit down and on one hand, these people that we have loved and invested with and spent a lot of time with, they have hurt us and we have these wounds. But on the other hand, we have these blessings. And those two things don't seem to go together. Like this this group of people that I've loved so much, specifically church community that is supposed to be in the face of Jesus, they have wronged me and helped me at the same time. And how do I make sense of that? And yet she pieces this together with... She's thankful for what they did. 
And I, Drew, we could both do this, tell story after story of people we know, even of mm-hmm. our own lives, that yeah. are like, I got to go to this one summer camp, it made all the difference. I got invited on this one retreat, it made all the difference. And then I met so-and-so, and it's the, as she says, the Ozzy Herlogs and the Joe and Melbas of her life. Drew, I think of people, despite the wounds of church, church introduced me to people that unlocked a new way of living, a Jesus way of living that I don't know that I would have encountered otherwise. And that's what I hear Melody giving voice to. Yeah, it's it's a really beautiful thing for her to say, they didn't do nothing. Yeah. Like I said earlier, in the middle of it, it was really hurtful, all that she was going through, but it was helpful for her to look back and go, oh, it's not like they just saw me coming to church with mm. bruises or my mom in a sling. And it's not that they didn't do nothing is that they did what they could mm-hmm. or they did with what they had. And I think those small offerings of grace from people made all the difference in her life. And I yeah. think it's it's helpful to remember those small moments of grace that were happening in the middle of tragedy. It's small moments of grace, but it's mm-hmm. also small moments of God being at work and active in our lives. And I'm grateful that Melody had this church family around her to help her walk through and out of that situation. So when we talked, I thought that was the story. (laughs) And there's so much more. There's this amazing spirit-led redemptive arc of where this story is going to go with her relationship with her parents. All right, let's go back and listen. I probably need to tell you that my parents divorced. They divorced twice. So they remarried each other one time in between there. But when I was 19, they they divorced a second time. My parents were completely different people, spiritually and emotionally, when they died from this earth than how they lived most of the time. Again, now keep in mind, they were saved, believing Christian people, I feel like they were like prisoners of all this other struggle that they had. They didn't realize they could actually have a personal relationship with Almighty God until very, very late in their life. But praise God, they did have it. And they left this life and moved on to heaven with such a different experience of Christ and of themselves. How did what did that look like and how, how old were they when that happened? And what were those conversations like? I mean, after all of that trauma <laughs> decades. In the beginning, the conversations, you know, with my parents was so weird. My, my mother was so competitive with me. She found me, me to be threatening. And it's because of what she was seeing was happening in my life. And she would be, you know, we bought this little house in Palmetto, Georgia. Um, no big deal. Okay. Very modest house. My mother was so jealous that she didn't come to my house for three years. We had this interesting relationship, JP. I called my mom every single day, talked to her for a few minutes. My mother loved me very, very much, but she was so, she envied, envied everybody, not just me. And she also hated my faith. She told me that. So I'm not just making an assumption. Millie, I hate it. I hate it. And for years and years, 30 years, I don't know. um, She just, she would have these big spiritual arguments with me, you know? So mostly I would listen to her and she just so much pain. 
mm-hmm. so much pain for so long. My father, you know, he burned all of his bridges with his six kids. Mm-hmm. He burned his bridges. But but here's the deal, okay? Because I was in the place I was in my relationship with Christ, yeah. and that goes back to these people of this little church in Jonesboro, Georgia, making these things possible for me. I had contact with daddy. I didn't want to have contact with daddy. You know, he didn't deserve me, (laughs) but we don't, you know, he deserved my grace. He deserved my mercy as much as I deserve from Jesus. And I understood that. And so something in me, the Jesus in me, every three or four months, I call my daddy. I was the only person to call daddy. My father was, uh, 74 years old. And I called him one day and we're talking and my daddy had gotten a computer. He had, he had been able to hook up with these uh, uh, old guys who were on his crew. My daddy was uh, 17 years old when he was in World War II. He was at Omaha Beach on D-Day, came in on the first wave, brought the first waves of infantry in, and they were having a reunion in Louisville, Kentucky. Now, my daddy also lived in South Atlanta. He's telling me that he's going to go go to Louisville, Kentucky. And I said, that's great, Dad. Are you flying? He goes, no, I'm driving. And he had two cataracts in both eyes. And anyway, now I'm going to tell you, JP, this is all Jesus from this point on. This is not me. I said, even I can still remember this sensation. The words are coming out of my mouth. It's my voice but it's not me. And I, but I said, dad, I will drive you to Louisville, Kentucky. Honey, I hadn't been with my father for 30, more than 30 minutes since I was 19 years old. Now I'm telling him I'm going to go on this drive. What is it? Six hours to Louisville. And I'm going to stay with him up there for six days. I'm saying this and I'm like, what's happening? It was like, I was possessed by something. And I was the Holy Spirit. So he immediately, he goes, Melody, thank you. Thank you. I mean, I don't even remember the rest of the conversation. And it was four days before we were supposed to go. So God knew if you give Melody more than four days, she's going to figure out a reason not to do it. So, so, but I mean, I went, I picked him up when I drove up, he he lived in a trailer park when I, I drove and I had only been there several times. Okay. So I'm coming up and I see this old man standing by the street. It never occurred to me. It was my father. Mm. When I turned around at the cul-de-sac and pulled up, it was daddy. And he was standing there outside of his trailer, at the top of his driveway, holding a little suitcase. Did you ever see the movie Up? Yes. It, remember that little dude holding this? It, that's what it reminds me of now. Okay. So he's just standing there. So this is loving daughter. I lean over my, my minivan and I open the door and I look at my daddy and I say, you give me one second of trouble and I'm putting you out of this car. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Jesus orchestrated all this, but, you know, there's still me. <laughs> so daddy looked at me. He goes, Melody, you're not going to have any trouble. And he gets in the car and JP, I won't tell you the whole thing, but I will say this because I do think it's important. It's like the Holy Spirit just came over that little old green minivan and daddy and I had a beautiful trip up. We had wonderful six, six days together. I saw him in a situation 
and in a way that I'd never seen. Mm. Now, he had stopped drinking when he was my age, when he was 66. The doctor told him if he didn't stop drinking, he would die. And he never had another drink. I remember saying, Daddy, if I'd have known that that's all it took, I'd have hired an actor to be a doctor and tell you that 45 years ago. But anyway, I saw him had a big hospitality room. There's all this liquor and stuff up there. As soon as I walked in the room, I just I could feel the panic rising in me. I can still feel that. But he didn't drink. So I saw he really had stopped drinking. And I got to see and hear things about my daddy that made me proud. Mm. So it was the first time I'd really been proud of of my father that I could walk around that hotel and they'd say, well, who are you here with? Oh, I'm here with James Dell. Oh, Bucks. That that was his nickname, Buck, because he was wild as a buck. Bo Bucks, your daddy? Well, do you? Oh, man. And then he just, they just, anyway. So on the way home, now we're coming home and he looks at me. We we just get out of Louisville and he looks at me. He goes, Melody, I want to talk to you. Mostly I want to listen to you. I know you have a lot to say. And I've never, ever owned up to that, to even that reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever you want to say. So I'm driving. Now, again, the Holy Spirit had to be not just surrounding that minivan, but driving the minivan. I have no memory of driving home, but I have every memory of the things that I said to my daddy. And I, I recalled everything, every hurt, every sinful behavior in detail to my father. And it was received in humility and repentance. And we both cried. Now, I had forgiven my father, and I believe I really had forgiven him at this point, but there is nothing like, see, now daddy's being Jesus. Mm-hmm. He's being sacrificial. Mm-hmm. He's sacrificing his feelings and everything to hear his child. So when we left, he said, what else do I, I need to do for you? I said, daddy, I think you need to do, offer the same thing to everybody, including mom. And do you know that man did? Really? And eight months later, he was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. And 16 weeks later, he died. And his relationship with his six children and even with the mother of his children changed so much. Again, God's grace. And I believe it all. It started with my parents for introducing us to Jesus in the first place, even though that they all knew. I mean, they didn't know him personally. That's where we learned about Jesus Christ. We always pray. I mean, we'd have like horrible things happen in our home and then we'd all pray. (laughs) I mean, all of us, all. (laughs) It was weird. But, you know, the first time I heard this, that trickle down economic kind of effect, I believe in trickle down spiritual examples. I believe that's what our faith is based on. When I was growing up in that church, I felt hurt by them Mm -hmm. because my expectation from them was they were going to save us. They were going to be superheroes. I don't know what I really thought they were going to do. Maybe call defects and, you know, but get us out of there. Put my father in prison, you know, whatever. And that didn't happen. But what they did do, they acted on faith. They did all they could do. And it did change lives not only here on earth, but also eternally.
Maybe there's almost something backwards about this story to me mm-hmm. in a beautiful way. Yeah. We assume that, let me say, I assume that the way things should go oftentimes is that our parents should teach us things and then we teach those things to our kids and they mm. teach those things to their kids. But there's something backwards about this story about how Melody talks about her experiences influencing her parents. It almost seems like it's done in the wrong order. Her parents should have influenced her faith and her siblings' faith, and she should have passed those on to her kids. But what's beautiful is that this church that surrounded her offered her with all these opportunities to go to this camp, Mm -hmm. to meet these people who were influential in her life, And so those experiences trickled down through her to her parents and the the beautiful story we heard about her dad. Oh, my goodness. Incredible. And and trickles down throughout the rest of her family. And you you can hear in that story when she says, what you just offered to me, Dad, you need to offer to the rest of this family. And that would not have been possible if Melody hadn't learned forgiveness from all these other people and from the different experiences in her life. And she was able to have that experience of forgiveness with her dad. Mm -hmm. And it just, it almost feels like it blew the doors open for the rest of their family. I love what she said about forgiveness. I think I've been guilty at times of seeing forgiveness as it's a gift I give you. Mm. And so if I'm not ready to give you that gift, I don't, I just don't want to give it to you yet. But what we see in her story as she's able to forgive her dad, not excusing, any of his behavior. But as she comes to the point, she's able to forgive him. It's not just a gift to him. It's a gift to herself because mm-hmm. her healing and his healing are both caught up in that process of forgiveness. And it was just, I teared up the first time she told it. I teared up the second time she told it. It's just beautiful. And then just her ability to be open to the Holy Spirit. So many times when I have conflict, Drew, I want to map it out completely and I want to figure it out. Some things you just can't figure out. She's she's prayerful, she's humble, she's open to it, and you just do you do the next step in front of you. But what a be- what a beautiful story. And and it's not over. There's more to it. She's <laughs> gonna talk about her mom and a few more stories about her dad. Yeah, I'm really excited about what's coming up because she, she talks about what maybe we think church should do, and maybe we're disappointed in that. But here's what church actually did, and here's the way that it brought healing and the presence of God into their family. So let's keep on listening. When I was growing up in that church, I felt hurt by them. Mm-hmm. Because my expectation from them was they were going to save us. In truth, every congregation I've ever been a part of has disappointed me. Every single Oh, gosh, yes. So I always had this disappointment for them until like sometime between September and now. <laughs> and and I'm sure I've disappointed them. I'm disappointing my existing church family at this very minute because we're all human. We're human beings. I think society and even other Christians, our expectations for church people are not realistic. The people that you and I go to church with are just like you and I. 
the best we can hope for is that we're all united, that we believe that Jesus Christ is our Savior. Mm. And if we can do that, if we can agree that we are, are all charged with reflecting him to each other in our church family and also to the world. And the only way we can do that is to humble ourselves like Jesus did in every part of his life on this earth. I mean, I'm of the opinion God humbled himself when he created all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And he's been humbling himself ever since to have relationship with us. And that's what we're called to do. Absolutely. It's true. The church should have done more. And I think we've learned a lot and we could do a whole nother conversation on how much the church has learned about abuse, how much society's learned about abuse. We do more now, hopefully, and right. So. Well, some people would and some people wouldn't. Okay. True. True. And yet what that church did do planted the seed for what your family's like now. They did. In my heart of hearts, I believe they did all they could do. Mm -hmm. And they sustained that commitment for years because, again, they were paying for stuff for a long time. Yeah. You know, my parents did come to know Jesus, both of them. They both had peace in their lives. The end of their lives were so different. When my mother was, let's see, how old was she? 75. We moved her and we built a little cottage in my backyard and we moved her there. And this was about the time that Paul, my first husband, died. Okay. So she was there during all half of his illness and she watched him die. And she watched us as a Christian family handling this. And she also watched our church family handle this. This is my mom who had six kids, but had so many problems. She had the, she just didn't have, she wasn't very maternal. None of us have any memories of her hugging us or loving on us or anything. Okay. Even as children and certainly not as adults. So my, my mom, now she lives behind us and I'm still operating both of our companies. And at this point, you know, Paul's got to be at home. So there are times when I have to, I have to go to work. I have to put my hands on that, that stuff. And so I, I asked Paul, we need to make some arrangements. So who do you, what, who'd be your ideal person to be with you? And without hesitation, he goes, your mom. I was like, he goes, yeah, your mom. I've known her since I was 17 and you know, I'm comfortable with her. And now at this point, he couldn't even stand up. So there was going to be a lot of help that he needed, personal things, going to the bathroom, stuff like that. And I was shocked. But I went and asked my mom. And my mother, without hesitation, said, yes, thank you. And my mother, I watched my mother. Now you got to remember, she had done a lot of healing, got spiritual healing. It took almost her entire life. She's 75 years old now, and finally she has peace because she knows Jesus, mm -hmm. not, not simply as her Savior, so that she can have experience that peace, that peace that passes all understanding is offered to us now. And now she's beginning to understand that. Mm -hmm. And so she says, yes, I, again, I am like in shock. I can't believe this is happening. And she took care of him. She would come, she would be there 
And even sometimes when I would be at home, she would say, Melody, why don't you take a nap? I saw my mother, like, and my father reach who they were really could be, have been their whole life. And again, I think all of this is, it all hooks together. It just all hooks together. And like a big giant puzzle. And, and she was, she was the assistant caregiver. And then when he, when, when his body died, about six months later, she came to my door and she said, Melody, I want to go to church. And my mama started going to church the next Sunday. And she ended up being on three different Bible study uh, classes during the week. She gave her testimony. I'm telling you, it was again to witness what can happen in our lives if we just allow it and seek it. That's all we got to do. So I, I know how important being a part of a church family is. And I'm willing to make the sacrifices to do it. And I think everybody does. If we're honest, I think everybody makes concessions and sacrifices to be a part of a church family. But the benefits of it are unlike any other group of people that I have ever been a part of. And I believe from my faith, I have been in the right church family every single time. JP, not every story of trauma or abuse or tragedy has a redemptive arc to it. Yeah. There are so many people who go through so many terrible things and life is hard to the very end. But I'm grateful that not every story is like that. And that's not to say that we're ignoring all those other stories that don't have redemptive endings to them. Um, because even Melody says that our expectations of church people are not realistic. Mm-hmm. Not everybody in churches has that background mm-hmm. or has that story that they come out of. But in her story, we have these beautiful glimpses of church coming and stepping in where they need to. For her mom's life, mm-hmm. church goes out of the picture for a while mm-hmm. and then ends up becoming another part of the story again. So... I I think it's a really beautiful picture, this story of what happens when we continue to keep our eyes on Jesus. You were saying to me before we started recording that Melody's just a Jesus person. Yeah. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is easily the word most used in this podcast. But when we find ourselves clinging to Jesus, it's almost like that community that Jesus calls us to be a part of is going to keep showing up one way or another in our life. Because she says we need to have realistic expectations about the church. She says, every church I've ever been a part of has disappointed me. Yeah. And I thought, about, I was like, wow. But then I thought about it and I was like, yeah, that's uh, yeah, totally, me yeah. yeah, me too, <laughs> totally. So she she has realistic expectations about church. But I'll tell you this, she has such hopeful expectations of Jesus. So she lives her life in such a way that she is expecting, like throughout she is open to Jesus showing up in unexpected ways. And I think that's one of the reasons why Jesus did show up in unexpected ways in her story. And so I think we need to have realistic expectations of each other and yet be open to that redemptive arc, be open 
to Jesus showing up. So grateful for this story that she told today. Just really thankful for it. Yeah. Uh, we we want to give a reminder, kind of like we did at the beginning, that if you are in the middle of some sort of domestic abuse situation or physical abuse or you're in the middle of some tragedy or you're coming out of some tragedy and you're still processing it we want you to find hope and help and we do not give excuse for those things that happen we we want to say that those things are wrong so if you need some sort of resource reach out to me or jp we'd love to to help you do that to find the right help for your situation because we've seen as we did in today's story, but we've seen times where beauty can come out of tragedy. Beauty is possible there. Grace never excuses bad behavior, but rather is open to a different ending. So let's be people that call each other to account, that name evil evil, and are never content with that. But as Melody shows us, continues to be open to a different type of ending in the name of Jesus. So thanks for being with us today. And we'll talk to you soon.